Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today let the word go forth fool me once are you fired up i'm not a crook are you ready to go shame on shame on you it's abe lincoln's top hat hosted by ben kissel yeah. boom you can't get fooled again hey everyone welcome to the show i am ben kissel uh this is uh dumpster fire chats part two Thank you so much for the great response from the first one. Uh, people were wonderful. The emails were great. And I got a bunch more to read today. I also want to thank the people of Chicago. We had a great time at the Empty Bottle this weekend for a live last podcast on the left. It was uh, wild, Midwest, and drunk. It was absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much for coming out to that one. Um, all right. Well, let's just start it off here. Our first email comes from Laura. And uh, the headline is, thanks for being level-headed which I guess that's not an insult. She's not saying I look Russian. That's, that's a compliment. So thank you for that. All right. She writes, thanks for saying pro-science is pro-pipeline. I'm a bleeding heart liberal, and I traveled from, uh, from California to D.C. for the Women's March. I'm also an environmental engineer at a natural gas midstream, a.k.a. pipeline company. Obviously, my job makes me biased, but it also makes me more knowledgeable on pipelines and environmental issues than the average bear. And this whole anti-pipeline thing confuses the heck out of me. I think the only way I can really get behind the idea of anti-pipeline movement is if it's a symbol of people being upset that we don't have a legit U.S. energy policy that strongly supports and grows the market share of renewables. But protesting the literal pipelines themselves misses the mark for so many reasons. Anyway, I'm just glad to know I'm not the only pro-pipeline Trump resistor out there, Laura. Well, thank you so much, Laura, from Denver, Colorado. And, you know, uh, I get a lot of blowback uh, for my pipeline stance. And obviously there are issues, uh, as we saw last week, when it comes to a a pipeline leak. Uh, I did try to explain it on the show. I just firmly believe that we need energy independence. uh, And nothing should be off the table in getting that independence because I'm sick and tired of invading foreign countries and stealing their natural resources and ruining their environment. Uh, So then we can feel better about ourselves by pretending as if we're not um, consumers uh, at the highest level. I mean, everyone, I was just thinking about this the other day. I went to Dunkin' Donuts because, you know, I got to get my coffee. And I'm just holding this huge plastic cup. I I hold it in my hands for four or five minutes. Uh, As soon as I'm done with the iced coffee, I I throw it away. And uh, then I watch right by. uh, We were about to record a show. I got another iced coffee. I mean, uh, my footprint is absolutely huge. And uh, it's something that I'm trying to be more aware of. But at the end of the day, we just consume so much in this society. It's a throwaway society. And if we want to continue the lifestyle that we have, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, that that requires oil and and a lot of it. So anyway, just something to be uh, aware of. Thank you so much for writing in, Laura. Um, All right. This next uh, message here, we'll read. It comes from Sean. And uh, the subject is, hail dumbass. 
So I always, that's nice. I feel like I'm at a kitchen table and my father is, you know, just trying to be a warm German. And that's what that's exactly what that sounds like. Hail, hey, dumbass. Okay. He writes, hey, Ben. I just wanted to thank you for everything you've been doing, uh, for everything you've been doing, and especially Top Hat. The most recent ones took me from being in actual tears to being confidently ready to fight back. It's a much-needed inspiration in these fucked times. Please, we pl- plus we even got a kind of fun in that episode, which lends which lends a pleasant air to a dumpster fire chat. You know what? That is kind of fun. Kind of fun. He continues, re-listening to a lot of the old episodes of Last Podcast on the Left has been really cool lately, too. Hearing you guys talk about Trump and chaos magic and all that shit, it makes me cry laughing while walking my dog through my neighborhood. Pretty sure it freaks out yuppies. Anywho, say hi to uh, Professor Parks and unpredictable Henry Zabrowski for me, and thanks again to you and the whole CCR team. Hail yourselves and magustalations. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Sean, and... Uh, you know, I love doing the shows, and I love doing all the shows, and especially now uh, when it comes to um, the current political climate, uh, brevity and and, uh, and levity are, are needed more than ever before in these uh, emotional times, uh, especially for people. If you're pro-Trump, uh, people are very emotional, and obviously the anti-Trump backlash is at a fever pitch right now. So thank you so much for writing in. All right, we got one here from Mac. He writes in ed reform. I would assume this is um, education reform, not um, uh, Ed Larson from the Roundtable of Gentlemen reform, although he could probably be be reformed as well. All right. Mac writes in, Ben, I just want to say thank you for all, for that crazy last podcast on the left show last night at the Empty Bottle here in Chicago. It was great. Thank you all so much for coming out here and dealing with that drunk asshole. I got to say, though, you and all my friends were kind of shocked how me and all my friends were actually kind of shocked about how tall you are. But I digress. He goes, uh, I am t- six foot seven. You know, sometimes people meet me and they're like, you're not as tall as they make you seem. And then other people meet me and they're like, we thought it was lies. This is not the, you know, Trump and Hillary election. Ever- we're telling the truth. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm six foot seven. And I just don't know. Some people I don't think know what that looks like. And then they meet me, and uh, they understand. It is fairly tall. Um, All right. So he goes on. I really appreciated last week's episode of Top Hat with Molly and the surface scratching done on the topic of education reform. I'll tell you, Molly was amazing, and I can't wait to have her on uh, in the future to really delve into education reform. I'm working on it now because I'm getting together a political uh, platform, and I think vocational training. Uh, is going to be on the forefront of my education policy. But um, we will uh, address that issue uh, in the future. Okay, so he goes on. Before I get to my thoughts, I just got done reading a really great article, and he shared, me th- he shared with me an article. Okay. To give you a little bit of my background, I serve as an AmeriCorps volunteer with, with City Year, an education nonprofit committed to ending the dropout crisis per- by providing full-time tutors and mentors to at-risk students. I work with, I work with all of the sixth graders in the English classroom as a supplement to the teacher. At this school, these students are only taught math and English on a regular basis. No history or science or any other subject. I mean, I think that's a, that is a disservice to these students. Um, science, regardless, I mean, I 
personally didn't lo- love, uh, you know, the science courses. Uh, I don't think I did particularly well in them. But uh, the history classes were so vital to just understanding uh, the present because the present is very similar to the past, and we can imagine the future will be similar uh, to both of those as well. So he goes on. After MLK Day, one of my co-workers was talking with her students about who MLK was, and they all said he helped to free the slaves. Oh, my goodness. When I heard that, I couldn't help but think, what, what the ramifications are for the future of our world with people who aren't taught facts about their own history or where they aren't taught how to think so much as they're taught a list of facts. I really liked what Molly had to say about how every person in school is working their ass off for these kids. While the system is flawed and these teachers and administrators and other staff members are bogged down by regulation, what I have seen in my school is these people doing everything they can for these kids, who who we all see for the amazing people that they are. I apologize about the lack of blurbiness. I do want to say, though, hail you, hail Satan, and hail everybody over at Cave Comedy Radio. Y'all do really great shit. Well, thank you so much, Mac. And, uh, my God, MLK has enough accomplishments uh, to to be spoken about for years in a classroom uh, you don't have to make up that he freed the slaves um my god all right so we definitely do have to focus on education and that's going to be a topic uh we're going to uh you know we're going to maintain a microscope a microscope on and uh, i'm excited to get into it further because i agree with you mac they are the future uh not to be uh, corny not to uh, purge or uh uh, plagiarize Michael Jackson, but children are the future, and uh, we need to fix education now because it comes down to economics, it goes to jobs, it goes to quality of life. Education is really at the epicenter. It's the core of so many of these surrounding issues, whether it be violence or even criminal justice. Um, education is the key for uh, to, to freeing uh, the people in this society. So, all right. Thanks so much for writing in, Mac. Uh, let's move on. We have one from Ethan, and this is also a bit about education. Uh, the title is Betsy DeVos and Robots Taking Our Jobs. Okay. He writes, going to try to keep this blurby for you. All right. First point. You mentioned that you disagreed with the wealth shaming of Betsy DeVos. Honestly, I think that's kind of a point. I think that's kind of the point. She's supposed to be in charge of public education, but she has no concept of what that entails. And for better or for worse, her wealth is a large portion of why she doesn't understand. I'm not advocating that you need to have experience to be in charge of something. That'd be unrealistic. But going in with precisely no idea of what you're getting involved in is a bad idea. That was a point that uh, was when Bernie Sanders was grilling her. And Bernie Sanders, of course, does a great job of always bringing his points back to economics and, uh, and his view of the world, specifically economically. Um, so that is a good point. Wealth shaming. It is, you know, everyone. I mean, we had this election and we talked about this uh, many times on the episodes. Whenever you can have a majority of individuals attack a minority uh, group of individuals, regardless of who that minority is, whether it be the 1% or whether it be, uh, you know, Muslims, I, 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 I just I want to be sensitive to mob mentality, mob rule. And obviously the 1% uh, having wealth and having the uh, 
ability to uh, control their own narrative is different than what Donald Trump would say um, about Muslim Americans and Muslims overseas and things like that. But I always, I do just, coming from my personal background, uh, my family history, mob rule always horrifies me and every time i hear um a group of individuals proclaiming war on a smaller group of individuals it does make me slightly nervous but anyway that is a good point and i understand what you're saying regarding betsy devos who now is in a huge fight because um, two republican senators two women uh, republican senators have jumped ship on betsy devos and i believe mike pence will have to make the final decision if it's 50 50 in the senate which it's looking like it will be and of course mike pence will confirm and allow her to head the education of america all right his second point i work for a major retailer and in the past few months that retailer has systematically eliminated eliminated a lot of office positions and replaced them with machines on a nationwide basis and there's been a major push to replace cash registers with self checkouts the worst part of this, though, is that I'm part of a Facebook group of associates, and by and large, people are defending this practice. It's generally a, but think about how much other work we can get done if we're not helping customers all day. And think about how much work you can get done if you don't have a job at all. That's a crazy, it's an interesting mentality. And it's that sort of mentality, but it misses at the end of the day there's only so much work to be done. And when parts of it are being automated, they need less people to do the work that remains. So hours are still cut and associates are let go. So it's not just a matter of turning off the robots, but you also have to make people who aren't in factory settings realize that yes, the machines are taking away your jobs. I think Marcus is right when he, saw, when he says that eventually the government will have to just give citizens a wage in order to keep the nation and the economy functioning. And that is a, that is a huge um, theory. And I believe that will also be the case um, when it comes to governments just giving uh, citizens $40,000 a year, $20,000 a year. Elon Musk talks about it on a regular basis as well. A living standard wage um, is it, it is the future, and uh, you question what kind of dystopian future that looks like, uh, because so many people are, uh, you know, they, they self-identify by their job and their career and their ability for self-reliance, and I think it'll be demoralizing and disheartening and downright depressing if the government is the one giving you your money. And of course, when you take government money because there are no more jobs, then the government feels it has the right to tell you what to eat, uh, what to drink, uh, how much to exercise, uh, not to smoke. Uh, really, every single facet of your life can be dictated and controlled by the government. And that's why we see what happens on a regular basis with, with welfare recipients. Uh, in Florida, for example, there are mandatory drug testing, and these are constant Republican ideas, um, you know, mandatory drug testing for individuals taking welfare and, and other sorts of uh, invasive government practices, and they're able to get away with it because when the government is paying your bills, the government has a lot more to say about your life. He goes on, thanks for your time. I'm a big fan of you on the shows you're in, Roundtable Top and Last Podcast, and look forward to see and look forward to seeing you in Ithaca for the last podcast on the left live show in March. Once again, thanks for the time and Magustalations. Cannot wait for Ithaca. It's gonna be a great time. All right. Let's move on here. We have 
This one's coming in from Katie. All right. Katie writes in her subject, too many things. Mm, I like that. We can never have too many things. Oh, wait. I was just talking about how I have too many things, specifically when it comes to coffees. Mm, okay. We can have too many things. All right. Katie writes in, hi, Ben. Help me settle some confusion here. Uh, hi, Ben. Help me settle some confusion here for the love of God. The Trump administration is waging a war on fake news, but it's, but it's also releasing statements claiming that their blatant lies are nothing but alternative facts. Couldn't fake news sites claim that their websites are also alternative facts? What the hell is the difference between fake news and alternative facts? I honestly don't even know. There are too many things happening from too many directions, and I'm just sitting here pulling out my hair. Help a girl out and keep on with the with this amazing podcast. XO Katie. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Katie. This is a slippery slope, right? Um, now Donald Trump is saying that every poll that reflects that's a negative number regarding his approval rating is fake news. That's fake news. There's no way it's real. And this notion of alternative facts. I think it comes down to the consistent erosion of government when it comes to them telling the truth to the American people. Uh, this has been happening for a very long time. Uh, governments have been lying to us. We can, you know, harken back to Nixon and the Vietnam War. Uh, you can look at every single foreign policy decision, specifically if you want to look at the 21st uh, century regarding the Iraq War, Hans Blix, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, immediate threat, and now we can look at uh, the Muslim travel ban. These are, you know, supposed terrorists coming over here, even though uh, home terrorists have been more homegrown um, than, than incoming. Uh, if fake news and, and, and alternative facts have made it more difficult for the American people to, to really get a grasp of, of what reality is and what the truth is. Everyone's going to their tribe. Everyone is going for their confirmation bias. And now the left is falling down a dangerous uh, hole, similar to what the right fell down in 2016 uh, when watching uh, Donald Trump and listening to Donald Trump. And now the left is reading a lot of uh, stories that will be proven to be false on a regular basis. And because they want them to be true, because they want that reality, that version of reality to be right, uh, they'll allow themselves to believe it or at the very least not fully absorb the fact that it is not real or not true. We have to keep a, uh, we have, this is a personal thing. In this world of information, in this world of everyone screaming and just, you know, uh, refusing to listen, everyone is screaming with their, with their eyes closed and worse even, their ears closed and they're just yelling um, with, without uh, receiving any of the information that's being yelled back at them. And I think that's why we're seeing um, people going back to their to their uh, to their base, you know, liberals with liberals, conservatives with conservatives. We have many situations uh, where the government is doing this on purpose, uh, some massive redistricting and gerrymandering uh, that has been going on. Um, North Carolina, for example, has just done some atrocious uh, redistricting. It's going to guarantee that politicians don't have to politic for the for the masses just for their just for their own tribe. And it's really dangerous. So that's where this all comes from. Gerrymandering, redistricting. There's no need any longer for politicians to compromise and there's no ability for them to compromise because if they do, they're out of office. 
That's why I would propose term limits for Congress. I also would like to see the president one six-year term. We have to, the lies come out of fear of no longer having power. No one was ever supposed to be a career politician. They were supposed, supposed to go back to being a, a shoemaker or a farmer, or whatever it might be. And uh, now, once you get in, it's almost impossible uh, to take yourself out. And they'll do anything, including recite fake news, misinformation, and they'll recite it to the point where it becomes real, uh, almost like chaos magic. They create the delusional world, and they do such a good job of selling it that delusional reality becomes truth. And we have to be very careful to, to listen and look, follow up, do research, and don't just listen to opinion. Look at numbers and statistics and things that can help form a rational argument. All right, let's continue on. The next email comes in from Catherine. Thanks so much for writing in, Catherine. Her subject is, Medicaid is up in the air now, and I have questions. She writes, Hi, Ben. Uh, I've been a fan of, I've been a longtime fan of the various shows you're on and Cape Comedy Radio in general. All of Trump's madness is just sending me for a loop recently, and I think you're right about the fact that he's just hurling things at the general public fast enough that no one has time to react and gives him time to sneak different things into motion. One thing that I have been trying to find information on is how he can affect the Medicaid program. Medicaid is a largely state-run program, but, to see, but receives a decent amount of money from the federal government. That's interesting. We talked about that on the last episode when it comes to this sort of chaos theory, just Steve Bannon uh, telling Trump to just move, 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 uh, just create uh, more executive orders uh, each day and confuse the American people, give them whiplash, have them turning every which way, almost like what you do, uh, what, what prison guards do when you, when you enter a facility. And they, they will, uh, perhaps they'll, they'll blind your eyes, um, uh, you know, with a towel or whatever it might be, uh, walk you through multiple corridors. And so you just get confused and you don't know where you are and you lose all uh, you lose all um, ability to navigate uh, the world. And to some degree, that's exactly what Donald Trump and Steve Bannon have been doing. Uh, they're throwing so much out there that no one knows where to even begin directing their rage. It's an interesting approach, um, and uh, it is exactly what uh, they did in the campaign. So anyway, let's continue on. Catherine says, I have never considered myself someone who is who requires government assistance. I've always figured things out on my own. I've always I've been working since I was 12 years old in order to support my family and guarantee we could live in one of the best school districts our state has to offer. I've always been a real pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of gal. Recently, this has changed because I have an infant daughter with a lot of health ailments that I cannot pay uh, to take care of. So I filed for Medicaid for her. I'm sorry to hear about, uh, that about your daughter. And uh, I send her my love. A lot, uh, a lot is in the air right now, but one thing, uh, but one thing I know for sure is she's going to need a, at least open heart surgery in the coming months. She is also deaf in one ear and could lose her hearing in the other ear. And I'm using Medicaid supporting social supported social services for that as well. 
Loosening Medicaid support would mean that I would, that I would have to leave the town and school district that I have worked so long and hard, and hard to live in. I was just wondering what insight you have into this and whether or not there is anything that I can be doing right now to protect my daughter's right to the health care that she requires to survive and prosper. Sorry for the brief rambling, and thank you for the show. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Katie. And again, um, my heart goes out to you and, and your daughter. I, that is unbelievably difficult, and, uh, and God bless you, and I hope everything uh, works out. The Republicans right now are actually nervous because Donald Trump hasn't lived up to the promise to repeal Obamacare quite yet, and they don't fully understand why he isn't. And I think Donald Trump, if he has a heart at all, it uh, would have to be hurting when he hears the stories of the people who are on Obamacare or, or Medicaid, you know, obviously, like you mentioned uh federally subsidized on a, on a large scale, but a state-run uh, program as well. Um, right now, these programs are extremely difficult to do away with. Uh, they are political losers uh, for the Republican Party. If, if the Republicans, many of the people who voted uh, for Donald Trump especially, and many people who tend to vote Republican, are the individuals who need Medicaid, Medicare the most. They tend to be a little bit older, and they've come to rely on these programs, and they were part of the deal. They were part of the contract with the American people, just as you did. You worked hard. You paid your taxes. Uh, you put in your time, you're an active member of society, and you deserve to d deserve to reap the benefits of our social nets, of our of our social safety nets. And your example with your with your daughter is so unbelievably touching and uh, so sadly common that the Republicans uh, hopefully understand if they mess with the program, they will not be uh, holding the House nor the Senate come 2018. Obviously, there are going to be more Republican diehards who demand that we repeal Obamacare now, um, and and they will be upset with Donald Trump if he does not do that. But we'll see. Hopefully, uh, those things work, their, work themselves out. And I'll get somebody in specifically to talk about Medicaid and, um, and uh, the ACA and, and really get into the, the brass tacks of the whole thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for writing in. Okay, the next question comes in, and uh, the it's from Stefan, and he writes in, The toppest of hats of Abe Lincoln. Okay, the toppest of hats of Abe Lincoln. Thanks so much for writing in, Stefan. He writes, Hey, Ben, really enjoy the show and all the shows you are a part of at CCR. I just listened to the Top Hat episode with Molly Neffel. I will admit the episode had me shaking my head more than usual. I am pretty libertarian in my political views, and everything Molly said had me cringing. I did not vote for the Donald. I supported your boy, the Gare Bear. Anyway, I just want to point out that the Department of Education really isn't necessary, nor a bunch of other government departments. Molly talked about it like it was absolutely necessary. It has been around since 1980. How did we survive without it? Anyway, I love the shows, especially last podcast. Keep up the good work. When it comes to the Department of Education and much like the EPA, it is a conservative talking point to do away with them. And I mean, as we've seen now with Rick Perry, um, 
he's promised to do away with the very program that he is currently in charge of. And now that he's in charge of it, he says they have some benefits. So it really is impossible or difficult to do away with a lot of these programs because the people at the end of the day that work in them need them for a job. And it would be sort of futile or uh, uh, counterintuitive to assume that these agencies will ever be shut down because again they uh, are people are reliant on them for their livelihood uh, the Department of Education I agree I think we've federalized our education far too much um, the federal government Washington DC District of Columbia uh, they do not have enough information to understand what which each local school district requires in order to best train their students. We talked about this on the show as well. The problem with the textbook co uh, companies relying on Texas and California as the main um, as the main focus for their for their lesson plans because of course they're such huge consumers of of, of uh, school books and things like that. Uh, I think the federal government we can we can expand. Um, resources uh, to the state and to local municipalities but I firmly believe standardized testing and Common Core if you do learn with Common Core that is fine um, but I think there's a lot of students who don't and I don't see how we live in a world of options we can have 30 different kinds of toothpaste any different kind of toilet paper we can have so many different different kinds of beer and beef jerky um, but yeah we don't have any choice when it comes to school and education and again going back education is just simply the most important it's the cornerstone of all the issues that are happening right now in our country whether it be violence poverty uh, or lack of upward mobility so uh, I, I see what you're saying and, and thank you so much for writing in and again I want to do a uh, we will get into more education I'm uh, look into this vocational education. There's a school in Philadelphia that I'm going to be using as a case study. Public school has done unbelievably well with vocational training because students exit and they have job skills, which, hey, that can't hurt, huh? Um, all right. This one comes in from Jason. Thanks for writing in. And Jason writes in, I love you, Ben. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I love you, too. I don't know who you are. Well, you know what? Let's get to know each other now. He says, hey, Ben, I just listened to your dumpster fire portion of Abe's Top Hat. Great work. I've been listening to the CCR podcast for a while now, and you guys are doing God's work. It helps me get through my day for sure. Thanks and take care. Jay from Philly. Thank you so much, Jay. I guess not so much a question, but a nice statement. And uh, you know what? I'll take it. Every now and again, I will take a nice statement. <laughs> Uh, thank you for writing it, Jason. Okay, this next message comes in from Jennifer. And uh, the topic is education funding. I'm very happy. This, we're, we're focusing a lot on education here in these uh, dumpster fire chats this week. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. Okay, she writes in, Hi, Ben and Marcus. I love your podcast and look forward to it every week. If I find some of your libertarian leanings frustrating, even if I find some of your libertarian leanings frustrating. Recently, with all the talk about Betsy DeVos, you've brought up education funding several times. I think this is misleading because what you are looking at is the average money spent nationwide compared to the average results. If you really want to get a better idea of how funding impacts results, you have to look at the individual states. What states and even counties spend on education varies wildly and so do what they get for it. However, 
when you look at the top 10 when you look at the top 10 for funding and success and the bottom 10 for funding and success there are definite trends and overlaps you definitely do get better results for students with better funding and in states like Oklahoma and Arizona that barely spend anything they are failing their kids there will always be factors like poverty that impact how well a child can do in school which which that is a whole other issue into itself. But the fact remains that if you want public schools and kids to succeed, they must be properly funded. Right now, they are not. Love you guys, and I don't think you're Fox News scum completely. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. And, uh, and good points as well. Uh, if the money is well spent and um, it goes towards not the bureaucracy or to the administrators, I think it's absolutely wonderful. I'm learning a lot about uh, the education system here in New York City. And what happened was uh, the administrators, uh, there's more now than ever. It's about one-to-one as far as uh, teacher to administrator. And it was not supposed to be that way. It's actually the more, it's, it's most it's ever been. So I think what's happening is, quite frankly, a money grab from the administration, uh, from the bureaucracy of the, of the school system. And so we are spending more money, but to your point, I think it's getting sucked up by a bunch of people who are obsolete, counterproductive, and probably should not have jobs in the school industry. And that's how we have to think about it as an industry so i agree money to the kids money to the facilities and you know let's let's get this the greatest country on the face of the planet our education is a black mark and of course so is our incarceration rates and all of those things go hand in hand all right i also want to say this i met some great veterans in chicago and i'm forgetting uh, his name now uh tall fella you know who you are uh, and I just want to thank him for his service. And I was talking with Marcus about this at the airport bar, and we just do not, uh, speaking, I, I come to this idea because of the pipelines from people who are impoverished schools and how they are oftentimes targeted by uh, military, by the military, in, in, and are recruited at a heavier rate um, than, than any other people. For example, Yale. Um, if you look at what happened with Yale, uh, they have a chart where people who went to Yale, they have a chart of individuals who served in the military. It was very high, and then over the years, that chart has gone down and down and down, like Al Roker's weight. And now Yale produces zero, zero people who have fought in the military to, to defend this nation. And those are the individuals who are making our war policy. And I don't think that's right. So that what happened, and the reason I don't think the VA issue is as important as it should be, I think it's because it's brown people that are fighting our wars. And, and I think that's really a, a disservice, and it is institutional um, bigotry. That's just a personal belief of mine. And if you look at it, Harvard, Yale, the people who have a, a, the, the pipeline to government, the pipeline to power, they have no, never experienced uh, what their policies actually look like and how difficult it is to fight a war on behalf of this great country. All right, let's move on here. We have Caitlin is writing in, and uh, she says, uh, hey, it's big data slash privacy dumpster chat. Ben, hope you're very well. And, and uh, she says, happy Thursday. Well, happy Thursday to you. Can you please discuss why Americans are apathetic, okay with corporations collecting our information? 
You know, Caitlin, this is such a funny thing to me. Everyone said 1984, the government's going to collect our information. They don't collect it. We give it to them. Facebook, all Facebook is, is the friend that snitches that we constantly talk to. When are we going to learn that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, I mean, hey, I'm on Twitter all the time. But they are, that's how they're getting the data. I went and I bought a bunch of uh, political shirts uh, on, on, you know, did the Google. And I went, went to my Facebook. And wouldn't you believe it, I had an ad for a company that I had just purchased a shirt from. They just get it because we give it to them. And, uh, and everyone seems to be very willing to, um, uh, to give up their information as long as they can play Farmville or whatever, you know, incentive they get. The carrot is oftentimes ludicrously small and video game based. And uh, so that's, you know, the government doesn't have to collect that, that hard because we have given them a buffet of of our lives uh, uh, they have they know everything they have to want they they know everything they need to know based on our facebook pages alone but that's a great I, you know i think people are the it's convenience you know they're selling convenience they're selling um happiness they're selling a better way to live and all you have to do to achieve that better way to live is let us know every little living thing about you and people are willingly and happily giving up that information. All right, let's move on. This one is from A-T-A-A-L-I-K. I think it's Adelik. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, Adelik, he or she or they write in. Uh, a thank you from a fan. Okay, so let's read this. Hello, Ben. I just wanted to offer my sincere thanks for the work that you do. As a young libertarian living in a quasi-fascist country near Middle East America was always a beacon of hope for me. But that vision was broken when it was more and more clear who would be the presidential nominees for the two major parties in 2016. It was a relief listening to you and move away. It was a relief listening to you and move away from those people and people who support them. Hopefully one day I will be in America somewhere running for any office that a non-American born citizen can run for and telling people why we had to cut road maintenance budget or something. Keep doing what you do, Ali. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Ali. And uh, wherever you are, wherever you're living, um, it is, it's great to hear that uh, the ideals of America uh, have crossed the ocean and have reached your heart. And hopefully we can live up to those ideas. Now, as I think you correctly point out, we are in a quasi-fascist country. And it's not Donald Trump that started that either. That's been going on for a long, long time. All right, let's move on. Uh, the next email comes in from a guy named Greg Brock, and the subject is punch you in the face. Well, that's nice. All right, he writes, Ben and Marcus, I never miss a show. I love the show, and I actually disagree with a lot of things you guys believe in, but it's still entertaining to hear differing opinions. First things, for the love of all things that are sacred, watching a biased documentary doesn't make you an expert on incredibly complex issues, but please mention you watched a documentary a few more times. I watched Dancing with the Stars with my wife, and I guess, I don't know, that he stops writing after that, but congratulations. 
congratulations on having a wife. I suppose this is kind of a diss here uh, regarding uh, the fact that I do often mention the documentaries that I watch because I watch a lot of documentaries from all over, from different con uh, from different perspectives, and created by individuals from different walks of life. Uh, I believe that watching documentaries are a wonderful source for, for information, and uh, I'm not going to apologize um, for consuming uh, knowledge and uh, and uh, seeing the world through the lens and through the eyes of the people that uh, occupy it. Also, of course, you have to continue to read and, and listen to interviews, and uh, there's many different ways to gather information. Uh, but of course, there is no nothing wrong with watching a documentary or two. All right, he goes on. One thing that really bothered me on your last podcast, just the beginning, is the pure joy all three of you took when watching someone you disagree with get punched in the face. Apparently, you guys are cool with violence if it's done to someone having a differing, having a different opinion than you, whether it's wrong or not. It's not hard to understand why public discourse is so poor right now. For all your fear of fascism, you could have taken a stand and told your listeners that violence against people you disagree with is in fact a form of fascism. Maybe when I see you guys, you can, we can all laugh after I punch you both violently in the face for your views of the drone war. By the way, you guys are basically reciting enemy propaganda, but you watched a documentary, so I guess you know everything. Really do love the show. Keep up the great work, Greg. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Greg. And, uh, yeah, you can feel free to punch me in the face, but then that would end horribly for you. But uh, to your point, I would assume you're talking about Spencer uh, when he was punched in the face. And you do make a good point, and that is actually something that I shared with my friends uh, who did take, I thought, too much joy in it. And I do apologize if I didn't... Um, if I came across as too celebratory when it comes to somebody getting punched in the face, regardless uh, if that person is a white supremacist or not, uh, violence is never the answer. I'm an anti, I'm a, for all the uh, violence that we talk about on the shows, last podcast and the left specifically, I'm quite a peacenik at heart. And uh, I do agree, people, that uh, it was, it was, it was actually kind of disheartening to see so many people that uh, that fancy themselves to be advocates of peace celebrate openly when uh, Spencer got punched in the face. But of course, you know, in in a world of world star and uh, and other violent, uh, you know, activities, UFC, things like that, there's never not been a time where people celebrate uh, watching violence, specifically if that violence. Um, it comes to someone they absolutely dislike and disagree with. But good point. Thank you so much for writing in. All right, let's move on. This guy, now, this is an interesting one. It's from and he writes in Oscar Lopez Rivera and Puerto Rico. Uh, Oscar Lopez Rivera is the person that uh, Barack Obama pardoned. And so he writes in, Hi, Ben, before I get into this, could you please use a pseudonym if you're going to read this on your garbage fire chats? Um, yes, well, I just did give your first day, but I apologize. But that'll be the last that I give. I don't care. I don't care what fake name you use. Just don't use my real name. I'm a, I'm a shy fella. <laughs> okay. I was listening to one of the Abling and Stop Ad episodes recently, the one where you guys mentioned Obama's pardons, which include Oscar Lopez Rivera. And I figured I should write in to correct something. So the Correction itself is going to be up here, but I'm going to give a more thorough explanation below the line if you want to read a bunch of words about Puerto Rico. 
So in the episode, you said that Oscar Lopez Rivera and the Armed Forces for National Liberation, which I'm going to call FALN, A-F-A-L-N, from here on out after the Spanish initials, were fighting to get votes for Puerto Ricans. Well, you're absolutely right that in the PRAN addresses have no federal uh, voting rights. The, the FALN was actually dedicated to Puerto Rican independence from the United States. So Lopez Rivera was quite literally acting against the U.S. government in taking, in taking part in FOAM. To Puerto Ricans, meanwhile, the issue represents the classic debate between freedom fighters versus terrorists. To some, the fallen represent a justified reaction to the injustices perpetrated by Washington, while to others, the fallen is a nutball terrorist gang. Anyway, the section below the line goes into goes into more detail in the history of the U.S. and Puerto Rican relations, if you want to read a bunch of words about it. Otherwise, just skip to the second line. Well, I don't know. <sighs> Might as well just read it. Let's do it. So what, so what really sets off the first major encounters between the U.S. and Puerto Rican governments is the Spanish-American War of 1898. By that time, the Cubans had been fighting a long guerrilla war against the Spanish, and the U.S. had eyes on annexing Cuba since before the Civil War. Check out the Ostend Manifesto if you want more info. So Puerto Rico was more of an afterthought. Regardless, on July 25, 1898, U.S. forces landed in Puerto Rico and began moving throughout the island. They didn't encounter much resistance. The locals were, from all I read, friendly enough, although some did join up with pro-Spanish militias. Didn't come to anything, though. Didn't come to anything, though, since the Treaty of Paris that ended the Spanish-American War ceded uh, Puerto Rico, as well as Guam and the Philippines, to direct U.S. control specifically congress this is going to be a very this is going to be very important once we start talking about status the island which under the last years of spanish rule had acquired a pretty sweet degree of home rule fell under military jurisdiction for 2 years until a civil government was set up under the jones act Note that in the structure put in place by the Jones Act, the governor of the island would, would be appointed by the U.S. president rather than elected by the island's population. This would hold true until 1952, and in the meantime would be a source of friction, especially once we get into the 1930s. Oh, and the Foraker Act of 1917 gave us U.S. citizenship just in time to get, ra get drafted for World War I. That's nice. So the Puerto Rican economy was always delicate, mostly agricultural, lots of poverty, American agricultural companies, including Domino Sugar, buying up tons of land and generally taking advantage of undereducated farmers. When the Great Depression hit, it really screwed over many of the poorest and led to the rise of organized labor strikes and the like. Also, the rise of Puerto, Ricans, Puerto Rico's own nascent fascist movement, the Nationalist Party, under the guidance of one of the titans of the por uh, por Puerto Rican political theory, Pedro Albizu Campos. Hey, I didn't butcher it too bad. That's not, well, I might have, actually, I don't know. <laughs> Essentially, the 1930s through the 1970s would mark the high water point of politicized pro-independence violence in Puerto Rico with a number of different uh, massacres. Look up the Blanton Windchimp and Francis Riggs, uh, those guys were real assholes, and rebellions here and there. 
Oh, and we nearly killed President Truman that one time and shot up Congress that other time. The upshot is that both the insular and federal governments both cracked down on the nationalist movement. To this day, Puerto Rican independence movement is sort of a minority movement, though the joke is the reason the government around here makes all the bars close on Election Day is because every Puerto Rican is an independentista once they've had a few drinks. This is all to say that the folks like Oscar Lopez Rivera come from a tradition of Puerto Rican independence rather than the greater Puerto Rican integration with the metropole. The independence movement itself still beats the drum of national liberation, but in, in a decidedly less violent tone. The Puerto Rican Independence Party, or PIP, that's a fun PIP. Uh, advocates independence through advocates independence through de- democratic referendum rather than violent revolution, and with a greater focus on other uh, and with a greater focus on other issues such as poverty and the environment. In many ways, it's kind of related to the Black Panther movement focus on black liberation and community services for impoverished minority neighborhoods. This has all been an extremely scattershot and brief review of an insanely complex and convoluted story. But hopefully I have, a, I have enough info to pique your interest and give you a good place to start reading if you want. If you want, I can get into more detail in later messages where I can focus on going into specific topics more deeply. Anyways, back to the main focus of this email. I'm also writing in to say that I'm really digging the idea of the garbage fire chats. They're the dumpster fire chats. But that is fine. We can go with garbage fire chats, too. Now that more, now more than ever, we need people of different opinions and backgrounds to come together and have a calm talk. And I'm happy to hear all these different perspectives, even if I don't agree with them. For my part, I think that, in a way, the Donald Trump presidency is bringing about a huge shift that might be a good thing. The American left finally has a purpose in life. I agree with that. I've always been a bit of a lefty, so this so election night was extremely depressing for me. But at the same time, it filled me with a new resolve to get involved. And now I'm happy to see my Senator Chuck Schumer grow a spine thanks to the actions of me, my friends, and people like us. The guys at the Chapo Trap House podcast put it best. I think this is a huge change for America. And while it's scary as hell, it's also exhilarating. Anyways, I'm a huge fan of CCR and especially the last podcast on the left, Roundtable of Gentlemen, uh, Wizard of the Bruiser, and of course, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Let me know if you have space for a volunteer research or two. I have a bit of spare time these days, and I'd love to contribute if I can. Also, tell Marcus that our Puerto Rican roads are just fine the way they are. Well, thank you so much, and uh, yes, absolutely, continue to write in, and I'm excited to hear more of what you have to say. All right, we just got a couple more here. And then we'll wrap up this dumpster fire uh, chat, the dumpster fire talks. Um, All right. So this one comes in from Patrick. He writes in, hey, Ben, uh, and this is about uh, a bit of context, a bit of context to the Israeli-Palestinian segment from Top Hat. Hey, Ben, just to add a bit of context as to why Israel ended up in that small group of countries Places people seriously argue shouldn't exist. This argument started with the British mandate for Palestine, for Palestine, which the local people say as simply more Europe see as simply more European colonization. Whether the white slash Europeans arriving were Jewish or not, they were largely seen by the Palestinians as colonizers and nothing else. By the time of the U.N. partition, this had remained the main way Arabs in Palestine and the region saw this issue. However, there were also arguments 
uh, at the time that the UN partition plan punished punished with simply punishing the Palestinians for the Nazi crimes just because they could. The Palestinians and their Arab neighbors were weak, and it was simply easier for Europeans to carve out a home for Jews in Palestine than integrate them back home. So even though we don't typically see Palestinians or other neighbors frame this issue mainly as a fight against colonialism, it's still an element of their case. So Israel ended up in the places people seriously argue shouldn't exist camp after a buttery smooth transition from from the places people argue shouldn't be created camp. I agree with you and with most people that that the whole Israel existing ship has sailed. We we won't, can't, and shouldn't roll back the creation of Israel. I just thought a bit of context would be interesting for you. Cheers, Patrick. P.S. I love the show. Trump's election has turned your show into the comedy version of Black Mirror. It's great stuff. Well, thank you so much uh, for writing in, Patrick. All right, we got one more for you. Uh, this is a good one. It is from Suba. And thank you so much for writing in. The topic is on education and the Muslim ban from a future teacher and a Muslim. This might be long, so sorry, ahead of time. Okay. Suba writes, Hey, Ben, I went down the Cave Comedy rabbit hole after multiple shout-outs for my favorite murder and now listen to last podcast, Top Hat, Page 7, and Sex and Other Human Activities. I've almost listened to every episode of each by now, which is crazy not to brag. I'm very grateful I'm able to listen to these amazing shows, and they're now part of my drive to school or waiting in between other classes every day. I want to first say I'm a college student majoring in ESE education, and I'm really excited for your future episodes with Molly on education reform. Molly and I are pretty much on the same page. If you remember, you probably won't, I was one of the many people that tweeted and shitted on you for minimizing DeVos being wildly incompetent to be Secretary of Education, particularly her not knowing that IDEA is a civil rights law, a federal law. No states get a say in whether they want to implement it or not. I've only begun to, I've only begun to dip my toe into classes. I will take for I will take for my ma uh, I've only begun to dip my toe into classes. I will take for take for my major and I even know what IDEA is, which is just plain sad. I would like to ask your listeners to please try to volunteer at schools, after school programs, offer private tutoring, etc. Because we honestly don't know what the future of education in this country will hold for children and it's unfair they can't let their voices be heard. They shouldn't have to suffer because of someone else's incompetence. I agree with you on that. Okay, he goes on to say... Secondly, I want to address this dilemma I have concerning the Muslim ban. My family and I are Muslim. My brother and I were born and raised in the U.S. while my parents were born and raised in India. My parents came to America in, in, in 1986. They've been citizens for 25 years now. After getting married, knowing they did not want to raise their kids in a country that will mistreat them because of their religion, since India throws around a lot of anti-Muslim rhetoric that has gotten potentially worse now that Modi, a Hindu nationalist, is prime minister. Our life in America, even during 9-11 and the Iraq war, hasn't been hasn't even been as scary as we see it now and that's a lot we aren't we aren't outwardly muslim my mom and i don't wear hijabs and my dad uh, and brother don't have beards or wear islamic clothing and we haven't attended a mosque in years well now that i see that you're a woman i apologize that i got that i got that rug okay um our brown skin and funny sounding names give us away if anything but other than that 
Our lives have been fine. We narrowly missed the Muslim ban since Pakistan could be added, even though we aren't from there. So it's easy for us to, t- to just look, at the, look the other way and not care because it doesn't apply to us. But there is still a part in all of us that can't be too sure if we'll be okay. For one thing, it's absolutely, obviously, incredibly selfish to act like we don't care about the struggles of other Muslims and uh, MENA, non-Muslims affected by the band. Then we look at the people that are close to the Trump administration that have even suggested internment camps for Muslims in this country, even even citizens, which terrifies and disgusts us to our core. To escape religious persecution from India, only to face it in their new country, has been a big slap in my parents' faces. Is there a guarantee that even as U.S. citizens that we won't be discriminated against by this administration? Is it possible to be deported to a country I've only visited three times in 21 years as a U.S. citizen? Is it possible to deport citizens that have been citizens for 25 years? Is internment even in the equation after our previous disgusting disgusting history of it with the Japanese Americans in this country how how do we know if we'll be okay there's just too many uncertainties among uh, coming from this administration and we're only on week fucking two the only thing we can do as Americans is to have each other's backs and to speak the fuck up when injustices unravel before our eyes. This is why I love listening to the podcast, because it gives us the opportunity to do just that. Even if you think your actions are a drop in the bucket, it's a lot better than nothing. I really appreciate what you and Marcus do every week, whether it's Last Podcast or Top Hat, and I'd love to hear what both of you, uh, what, what you, what you both will have to say as this shit show unfolds. Thank you for all that you do, and thank you for bearing through this long-ass email. If you ever do get to read this one. I absolutely did get to read it, Suba, and thank you so much uh, for writing in. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is unbelievable. Your parents are Americans. You're an American. Um, again, immigrants, in my personal opinion, are the best Americans because the dream is alive and well uh, in their very being here, in, in their very existence. So thank you so much, and you're right. We're going to be together. We're going to lock arms together. And as a society, we won't let uh, this administration's, uh, their more, uh, you know, bigoted policies, we will not let them divide us. Uh, We will not not let them win that battle. And we will stand together as as one group of Americans. Um, All right, everyone. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Kissel. You can also write in to me at Ben Kissel at BenK721 at gmail.com. I'm excited to read more of your messages. I really appreciate it. And uh, all right, you can also find Marcus Parks on Twitter at Marcus Parks, Instagram at Marcus Parks. I'm on Instagram at Ben Kissel1. And uh, all right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.